and I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. Let me read just in focus verses 57 to 62, and this is where we'll spend the, the majority of our time together this morning. So if you would look at your Bible, Luke 9 chapter, chapter 9 verse 57, as I read these few verses once again. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Join with me as I pray and ask for God's blessing as we give adherence to this word. Father, we approach you. You are the great king. You are the one to whom the glory and the praise belongs alone. Thank you, God, for sharing your word with us. Thank you for sharing your son. His earthly ministry was the culmination of your desire to reconcile both those in the Old Testament and in the upcoming new in that era under the banner of the kingdom of your son. And we are in that era now. But Lord, some of the sayings that you have said while you were here on the earth are, are hard to understand. So I pray that you would give us sensitivity to your spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open up our understanding so that we would not only understand, but that we would have our hearts moved to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And help me to faithfully speak on his behalf. Lord Jesus, speak through me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Is the product worth it? Should I get it now? Will I regret it later? There I was this past Friday with my family, standing in front of the Vitamix blender demonstration at Costco. <laughs> Is the Vitamix really worth $460? Should I grab the deal now? Will I regret buying it later? A very hard-selling woman was behind that demonstration booth, answering all my questions and telling me why I would regret it if I did not buy it now at that price, which was $140 off retail, only at Costco for only a limited time. I tried to leave after just getting a little cup of smoothie, and I said, well, perhaps we'll come back later to see another demonstration. And she said, can I have that in writing? For every person who says that, they miss out on this deal. You're going to miss out on this deal. I was stuck in a hard sell, friends. Do you know what a hard sell is? It's somebody in business trying to get you to buy something that probably you have no reason or purpose or right to buy. That's the way our world works. Everybody is constantly trying to sell something and all of us, if we're honest, are often in the midst of a cost analysis. 
We're really trying to count the cost. And this happens in a variety of areas. It happened at that Vitamix booth. It's also happening right now down in Florida. As several of my friends, I'm sure you have several friends who are in the pathway of Irma as it's coming up. They're making their own cost analysis. They're counting the cost. You know, should I leave now? You know, is it worth evacuating? Will I regret it if I do? They're, they're going through these things. And this, this happens as well in the spiritual world, and that's what's happening in this text. There is an issue of counting the cost that's happening as Jesus interacts with three unknown would-be disciples. And in effect, this morning, if Jesus was standing in front of you saying, follow me, you should do your own cost evaluation, count the cost. Is Jesus worth following? Is he worth following right now? Will I follow him and then look back and regret making that decision later? Christian friends, you're stuck in those evaluations this morning because even if we have followed him, we can't escape the need to once again look at Jesus, this one whom we have said to follow, and to determine, are we truly following him? And my non-Christian friends who are here, who have made no commitment to Christ yet, perhaps you're here today, to experience what church is like, to, to understand more about the claims of the Bible. You will hear some shocking things today from the Lord Jesus Christ, but I hope that you will find that he is calling on you to truly count the cost. And I hope that by the end, you will see that he is well worth following and well worth any sacrifice you have to make because he's ultimately the one who has paid the ultimate cost. Now, as we look at this text, verses 51 to 62 are actually a teaching unit. So what I mean by that is I believe the Apostle Luke, as he is writing this, is culminating the data of the reports of all that the disciples experienced with Jesus. And he's arranging it in such a way so that in each section he includes in his gospel, we will be confronted with a particular point. And I think verses 51 to 62 wrap up one specific point. If you look at the beginning, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now look down at verse 62. Jesus said to him, one of these would-be disciples, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So in verse 51, Jesus is described as setting his face forward. Now this is a, a Jewish idiom that really just means he had grit and determination, a resolve that was not going to break. He was going straight ahead. In verse 62, he uses an agricultural illustration. It was very similar to me mowing my grass last night. I was fiddling with my phone trying to listen to something when the signal went dead, and I looked up, and my, my mower had gone off course. You take your eyes off for a minute. You, you can't mow straight lines. And Jesus, no, you can't plow a straight line if your head is turned around 180 degrees looking back. And by that, Jesus is showing us that his face, though straightforward, he's facing people who are more than tempted. They do look back behind them and after counting the cost, determine that it's really not worth following Jesus. 
So this morning, we need to dig in and to allow the challenges of these three encounters to force us to count the cost of what it really means to follow Jesus. If we're following him, and if we're hoping to have any kind of personal reformation, which reawakens us to the glory of Christ so that we follow after him according to his word, we have to come face to face with the biblical Jesus and to allow him to speak by his assessment into our lives so that we can accurately count the cost and find him for who he really is. So let's dig in. Now remember, Jesus is on the road. So all of this takes place from verse 51 to the end of the Gospel of Luke on the road until Jesus finally gets to Jerusalem where he is crucified. Now this is intentional and the book of Luke is arranged this way so that if you read the beginning of Luke, up to Luke chapter 9, verse 50, you have what many people call his, his birth, but then his Galilean ministry. It was the time of grace to Galilee so that they would hear the word of the kingdom preached, that they would receive the call to repentance and come, that they would see the miracles and have many, many healed and blessed by the miracles of Jesus. But that time has drawn to a close as Jesus is now setting his face toward Jerusalem. Now, as he goes, verse 57 says, along the road, there were these three encounters that happened. And I think Luke leaves it generic enough so that we can insert ourselves into the shoes of these would-be disciples so that we can, like they experienced, hear the word of Jesus come to us and allow it to speak into our lives. But in order to make a real cost analysis to count the cost, as I know Jesus wants us to do, we need to ask some questions like we asked earlier about the Vitamix blender. And the first question is this this morning, which you won't see here, but I will try to speak very clearly so that you can follow along. First question is this, is Jesus worth it? Imagine yourself standing in front of him and he appeals to you, follow me. You need to ask, is Jesus worth it? The first man comes to him, having seen his ministry in Galilee. Matthew chapter 8 tells us this man was a scribe, meaning he had much interaction with the law of God. He was looking for a teacher, someone who he could follow. And often in that time period, if you followed a rabbi, he had a community that you could be a part of, that you could enjoy fellowship and some sense of security because he was connected back to a synagogue. Jesus was not like that. So as the man comes to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus' response wasn't to warmly welcome him into the band of disciples. Now, he didn't push him away, but he spoke a hard saying. We're going to hear several hard sayings in this text. And a hard saying is something that we encounter, especially in the words of Jesus, that on first reading, we just don't quite understand. And even on second, third, fourth, and fifth readings, we might not still understand. I wrestled with this text all week long, spent longer digging into this sermon than I typically do, not because I care less about the other sermons, but because this one is just, it's a difficult text to try to mine out. What in the first century did this mean, and what does it mean for us today? It's worth it, though, 
And the hard things are like a hard candy. When you put it in your mouth, if you bite down on it, especially if you have some bad sensitive areas like I do, it hurts. But if you suck on it and you allow it to kind of move around in your mouth and get the full flavor out of it, it it really releases more and more flavor over time. And this is what a hard saying of Jesus is intended to do for us. So here's what, we, here's what we see him saying. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, Jesus is communicating to this man who perhaps is looking for the security of a, of a group of people. Really, sir, you have to understand, I have no place that I can call home. A foxhole is not that glamorous. A bird's nest is not that ornate, but both have security and a place to go at the end of the day. Jesus is communicating, I'm not like them. I don't, I don't have that security. Teacher D.A. Carson said, to be the disciple of such a man might well be interesting, but it would be far from comfortable. And this is the reality that Jesus knew as he walked on this earth. He didn't come for comfort. He had given up comfort when he left his father's eternal dwelling and the eternal relationship that he had known with him to come and live in the dusty Middle East of the first century. Jesus did not regard that as more important than the mission of the father to love his people and to lay down his life for them. But in order to get there, the road to travel was hard. And Jesus is sending out a blunt statement to this man that if he follows Jesus, he cannot expect to have his comfort as a value that will be met. We need to count the cost because in our culture today, we are so quick to apply the hard sell in cases of evangelism and in times when we want people to come into the kingdom into the church, we, we start to communicate to them, perhaps opposite of what Jesus would hear, well, of course, if you're willing to follow God and you're here among us, well, well, come on, we'll get you to sign a commitment card. We'll sort out the problems later. Well, Jesus knows that he's in an army and as he's gathering his soldiers and he's got them in boot camp and he's training them. He wants to give them a very clear picture of what that's going to look like. He didn't have those people from our 21st century back there alongside him saying, Jesus, what are you doing? Don't sell yourself short. This guy is interested. He's going to follow you. Get him in. Just sort out all his problems later. He might have something to contribute to this band of disciples. But Jesus didn't work that way. Do you know why? Because he loved this man more than those 21st century evangelists tend to do. And he wanted him to understand the cost. So the question for us as we count the cost is, is Jesus worth it? And the reality for us is, is the question is, is Jesus worth following? For that man in the first century and for us today, it cannot be Jesus plus security or Jesus plus possessions or Jesus plus stuff. Following Jesus, the guarantee that you get in following Jesus is Jesus himself. This is the guarantee. 
We've seen too many hurricanes around our country lately, seen too many houses swept away, everything gone except perhaps the clothes on the back of the person and God willing, their family still with them. We have no guarantees in this life, Jesus or not, but Jesus is calling us to reckon with his pattern of life and what he's calling them to is not just a decision, but a life committed to himself. My wife and I have some dear friends who are ministering in a closed country to the gospel. Um, from time to time, through their company, they can have interns come into the country for a short time period to learn the culture, to work in some capacity, and hopefully to make meaningful gospel connections with the people who live in that country. Recently, uh, we heard from our friends that there was a lady named Jill, I'll use that name, who entered the country to spend time with them. Um, here's her story. I hope it encourages you when we think about counting the cost of following Jesus. Now, the first two weeks, our friend says, were very hard for her. Jill enrolled in language class, but she was still very much a language beginner. Her schedule to begin with was fairly light, as many of the team members and the business people they worked with were away at a time of holiday. She knew part of the expectation was that she would need to go out and make friends and connections, but opportunities to do so were less than she had expected. She started to wonder why she had come and how she would write back to those who had been praying for her. But God was doing an amazing work. Although Jill was a believer and not an immature one at that, she really sensed that God was wanting her to draw closer to him. She spent a lot of time in those two weeks, just her and the Lord. And she realized he was saying to her, in effect, before you do anything for me, you need to be connected to me. Her relationship with the Lord flourished. And as the richness of that relationship took over her life, the opportunities to share just overflowed. Now, our friends report about this field. To be honest, it is quite rare to see people converted during a short-term mission trip. Yet Jill was privileged to walk alongside two people whose lives turned massively around as they came to accept Christ during her time amongst them, and several others who were awakened to an awareness of the gospel. Jill was blown away at how much God could do and how much being connected to him was vital to her being useful for him. As you count the cost, the exciting things that are a part of being in Jesus' kingdom really are only possible and only going to be real in your life if you are connected to him. There are no guarantees in this life but Jesus Christ. So is Jesus worth it? Now the answer is overwhelmingly, I hope you would know, yes. He is so worth it. But this text raises one of three dilemmas for us. The dilemma is this. How can we, who seem to be so constantly seeking other things other than Jesus, can we truly count ourselves followers of Jesus Christ? Obviously, it's difficult, even among the religious who knew the scriptures well. Following Jesus would not be easy. As a matter of fact, it would be quite hard and if we're honest, when we recognize that hardness, we tend to look everywhere else to get our security and comfort 
then back to the Lord Jesus to follow him obediently. And I want to tell you, there's hope, but we have to press on. So let's do so. The second question to count the cost this morning is this. Is Jesus worth following right now? Maybe later. Or is it right now? Is Jesus worth following right now? Look again at verses 59 and 60. Now, to another, Jesus is saying, as he did to several other disciples, follow me. But the man replies, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, this is an interesting situation, and what Jesus is about to say is a little bit harder even than the first hard saying. But here's what's happening. Of course, sends out the call, follow me. Now, essentially what we get here is a reply from a would-be disciple that says, let me first. And that's the operative operative phrase here in this reply to help us dig into what's going on in this man's heart. Let me first. That's his response to the Lord Jesus. Now, his let me first seems pretty significant. Let me first go and bury my father. At this stage, it seems like the right response from Jesus would be like, certainly. Honor the fifth commandment. Honor your father. Go back and conduct that. Do what you need to and then catch up with me a little farther south. But that is not what Jesus says. His response seems shocking, even to us in the 21st century. Look at what he says. Jesus said to him, verse 60, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, it's hard to understand how the dead can bury the dead. And I think there is an explanation here that is helpful. Now, to let you know what some of the options are, it could be that this man's father had just died. I mean, just died. But it's likely that's not the case because he hasn't said so. All he says in the text is, let me go bury my father. Doesn't even mention yet that he's dead. You might say, well, Joe, it just makes sense. He's probably dead if he's going to go bury him. But the reality is, if he, if he was about to bury his father, he would have to do so super fast in that culture. If you had a dead family member, you would get them in the tomb that same night. There'd be no time for hanging around Jesus to talk about discipleship. Now, the second option is, his father is not dead yet. He may be dying. He may have a few years left. But it might be that the man is counting, following you, Rabbi, is important, I know that, but it's more important that I honor the fifth commandment. That might be the case, and in that scenario, the man would go back to his house and just wait it out until his father died, and then give him a a respectful, honoring burial. And then maybe he would be set up to follow Jesus later on. There is a third option, which I think has some merit, and it's more where I lean, And it's this, that the father is already dead. He has already been buried. You might say, well, whoa, Joe. He's saying, let me go bury my father. I know, bear with me for just a minute. And let me explain some first century Jewish burial practices that were around in the time of Jesus, which might shed some light on this. On the one hand, in the time of Jesus, it was pretty typical to bury a family member to entomb them, to embalm them, to wrap them up, and then let a year go by and let decomposition do its work, 
And then you would go back in, get the bones of the family member, and place them in a box called an ossuary. This was a, a practice that was fairly typical at this time. Now, the way that it worked out, you would have burial number one, and then over time, you could then have burial number two as you put the bones in their final resting place. Now, what helps me is, if that was a practice going on in Jerusalem and in surrounding areas in Israel at the time, Jesus could speak into either of the categories where the man was. If the, if the father was alive, then he could say to him, the priority that you have is important, but I take greater priority. What you think is your priority now, I am your priority now. But there's a, an expression in, in verse 60 where it says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. In some way, the dead are burying the dead. If the body's already in the tomb with other dead bodies around, it seems like the point Jesus is saying is their own dead people there receive into whatever state they're entering into the rest of the, the remains. Honestly, there didn't need to be a second burial. And in that scenario, Jesus would be saying, in effect, you have already honored your father. And the requirements that are set up on top of that honoring, which exceeds my law, you're using as an excuse by saying, let me first, instead of doing the thing that will bring life, spreading the news of the kingdom of God. This is what I'm calling you to. But the point, friends, is that whatever scenario the man was in, let me first betrayed the true condition of his heart. So as we count the cost, is Jesus worth following now? Again, answer, absolutely. But we've reached another dilemma because of how often we issue to the Lord, let me first. Lord, let me first get through this semester of college and then I'll follow you. Jesus, I will follow you, but let me first get through this round of chemo. Lord, let me first pursue this promotion at work. Jesus, I will follow you, but first let me build up some wealth. Certainly you could use that, couldn't you? Lord Jesus, let me first enjoy the relationship with this new guy or girl, and then I'll follow you. A pastor friend of mine once said, whatever you're making Jesus stand in line behind is your actual Lord. Whatever Jesus is standing in line behind in your life, the thing in front is your actual Lord. What Jesus wants from me and from all of you is your complete devotion to him right now. This, this means a detachment from stuff that enables you to be mobile and to go wherever he says, whenever he says to go there, telling others the good news of the kingdom of God. Now this week I read about a massive construction project, and this is on this theme, a massive construction project that's been away linking China to England by railway. People are calling this the New Silk Road. If you've not heard about this, it's an interesting thing to read about. $55 billion have been invested in this project. I can't even imagine that much money. Now, as this construction is stretching from Asia across Europe, one of the things that is also bringing with it are jobs 
as the infrastructure of this work demanding people to come in. You know, they're, they're teaching Chinese to foreign places where they need to work with people. And along with it, as you can well imagine as Christians and knowing the way that the church works, they're sending missionaries as well into those hard-to-reach places. So I read this past week about two young people in their early 20s who came from Asia, went to teach a foreign language, were kidnapped and killed by the Islamic State in Pakistan. The record on the BBC News says that ISIS regarded them as imposters, claiming that they said they were there to work and to teach, but actually that they were out evangelizing. And because of that, they killed them. Now, this is the hard road that those two people were on. But is it a different one from the road our Lord Jesus is on? As they went in, seeing a place right now that is in need of the gospel, as they entered in to be rejected, to be tried in a phony trial, and ultimately to lose their lives by others saying that they were there to proclaim a foreign religion that didn't belong there. You know, their belief was the kingdom of God is worldwide. It belongs everywhere. And if a place opens up long enough so that we can get in and tell people about it, let's go. The result of this is that thousands of others from that region are going in as well to those hard-to-reach places. And we're hearing more and more reports all the time about those who count their lives as little because right now, Jesus has opened up the door and they said, Lord, I'm mobile. I'm not, I'm not attached to too much stuff. Do you want me to go? A willingness there. For now, I think we need to count the cost and, and ask, is Jesus worth it? Well, yes, but... Have we faithfully responded to his call or are we offering him some more, Lord, let me first. I will follow you, but, but let me first. There are plenty of temptations in areas where we can implore the Lord for a let me first here in 21st century American culture. And friends, if the assessment is turned on us and Jesus is looking at us and counting the cost of us, would he then say, is it worth taking these people along right now? In the third place, there's an encounter that Jesus has in verses 61 and 62, where he says to another, another says to him, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. You might see a theme emerging here. And at the time, this phrase is used, let me first. Now, this one, it, it really seems like the response should be, yes, make it quick, but come on, we're going south. You can see I'm, I'm heading that direction. Go and come. And something similar happened in the life of Elijah. If you would read 1 Kings, you would, hear this, you would read the story there of Elijah. He has just run from Queen Jezebel and hidden on a mountain fearing that his life was over and that there was nobody else who was serving God. And God, in a still small voice, said, get up, Elijah, and, and return. I have 7,000 people who have not bowed to Baal. 
And on his way back in, Elijah gets his next project, Elisha. And as a prophet, he takes off his cloak and he throws it over Elisha's shoulders. And Elisha picks up the message, knowing this fiery individual, Elijah, who has exploded on the scene of Israel. So basically, Elisha knows the call. He knows that Elijah is summoning him to go with him. And he says, Elijah, let me first go bid farewell to those in my home. And Elijah says, what's that to me? Go ahead. And so Elisha goes, and then he comes back, and he kills his oxen that he had been using to plow the fields. He uses the yoke for wood and burns those oxen and has a big old barbecue to say goodbye to everybody. So is Jesus stricter than Elijah? Well, I think Jesus, in his response, totally gets what this guy is doing, and he knows that story of Elijah and Elisha. And he uses agricultural terminology to give a message to this individual. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, what we have here is Jesus responding to this Elijah statement. He did so earlier in the text that Travis read for us. Remember when James and John went into Samaria and tried to secure a lodging for Jesus, and they came back and said, Lord, they rejected us. It's mostly because you're insisting on going to Jerusalem. They hate Jerusalem. They hate us. We hate them. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Now, these fiery brothers were thinking of Elijah. And there was a time when wicked King Ahaziah sent 100 men to Elijah, 50 at a time, all soldiers. And when they got there, Elijah was sitting on top of a hill, totally not hard to find. And basically, they said, are you the man of God, Elijah? And he said, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you. And boom, they were incinerated on the spot. Happened to the next group. And then a third group came, and finally a guy said, oh, please have mercy on me and my men. Please do not destroy us with fire. If you are a man of God, please come down and talk with us. And God said, it's okay, go with this guy. So he did. He went and pronounced judgment on King Ahaziah, who was a king in this same area, this same region where Samaria now is. So James and John were like, let's just call down fire from heaven now. Jesus rebuked them. And likewise, he's saying to this man in front of him, I want you to understand that I understand that story of Elijah and Elisha very well. But I take priority. It's amazing that throughout Luke 9, Elijah is mentioned about five times. If you look through, people were saying that Jesus was Elijah reborn. You know, Elijah never died. He went into heaven on a fiery chariot. And people were seeing what Jesus was doing, and they were thinking, maybe this is Elijah come back again. And Jesus is making absolutely clear here to this guy, as much as you want this, as much as you would want to follow in the steps of Elijah, I'm not Elijah. I am the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he means when he uses that agricultural example is that No one who sets out to follow this supreme Lord and looks back to the life he had is fit. That hits me so hard, that word fit. Our final dilemma, friends, is as we seek to follow Jesus but look back, driven so often by even the best of things and attachments to them, we, we tell, in effect, the Lord of the universe, I'm too busy. I can't do that now. 
And in a sense, what we're familiar with in buyer's remorse. By the way, if I had bought that Vitamix blender, I am certain I would have had buyer's remorse. <laughs> if we come to Jesus and we're, we're saying to him, Lord, I, I will follow you, but let me first get these other things out of the way. Even the best of things, we are delaying and we're missing the urgency of following the King of Kings. So what do we do? All right, my, my Christian friends, are any of us fit as we examine the cost to really follow Jesus? Are any of us fit? Non-Christian friends, are any of you fit to meet up to God's requirements and to follow Jesus the way that he's demanding here? None of us are. And so the last point in the conclusion today is the final cost. Jesus has been making his own cost analysis as he talked with these men, and he makes his own cost analysis for any who come to him. The only way that you can come is if you realize in the final cost, Jesus paid it all. Now, how can we know this? Verse 51 again tells us, Jesus, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, this is talking about now his resurrection by way of the cross, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and nothing will keep him off that path. When you consider the cost of what he paid, it was every time that any one of you or me was fickle and decided that following him was not really worth as much as following our own hearts. That following him right now was not as urgent as the let me firsts of our lives. And for as many times as we've looked back, Jesus never looked back, but followed God wholeheartedly in obedience to death, even the death of a cross. This exalts his mercy for these would-be followers. And by the way, we, we don't know if they ever decided to go with Jesus. We're not left with that conclusion, and Luke does not want us to draw that tight of a conclusion because he wants us to sit in their seats. Remember I said verses 51 to 62 are a teaching unit. You can't have the latter half without the first half. And friends, we cannot have obedient discipleship in following Jesus without a Lord who took our place and died in our place, taking the punishment for every rejection of Jesus, every time that we've told him by our actions that he is not worth following right now, and every glance that we've taken backwards to the life we left when we started to follow him. He died for every one of those things and was punished by God for that faulty discipleship that you and I give him. And even more than that, his perfect record of following God was given to every one of the disciples who would come to him and say, have mercy on me, Lord. I don't measure up in these ways. I, I, I don't follow you perfectly. And in this scenario, it's like that man who prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that decision and that time, in that moment when God saves your soul and when you commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he applies that perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ to your account and you begin the process of walking faithfully with him looking in the past to his obedient sacrifice 
and his set face toward the cross for you. That over time shapes your discipleship responses to him so that you can significantly follow him where he tells you to go, when he tells you, and you can do so with the assurance that ultimately because of him walking with you, you will not turn your back on him. Christian friends, the call to us today is to repent. A text like this calls us to repent. Do you know how? It's not complicated. Lord, I am sorry. I am guilty of these things in the text. Holy Father, you deserve so much more. But Jesus, you have done so much. You have done it all. Help me now to take obedient steps by your power into the areas where you are calling me to go. For some of us, that might mean going out where the Lord calls us to go in obedience to him. It might mean your neighborhood. It might mean your school. It might mean a foreign field. God is faithful and Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the text of Scripture and for the words of Christ. Thank you that our hope can never be set on our achievements or our record of following you, but our hope is set on Christ. Thank you for our Lord. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you that he did not set himself up with a home or build a palace for himself on earth. Thank you that he walked in a way that led others to know the stakes and to see his set face going towards the cross. As we survey the cross, help us to gain power again and encouragement for the road ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.